we did just wrap up a series on James. And I feel like I wish we could have 10 more weeks on it. I feel like we're just getting started. James uh, is a New Testament book. And James was specifically writing to believers who were facing persecution. That was his audience. And that certainly speaks to so many people today. There are Christians all over the world facing persecution. Well, what we're going to do with this series, the one that starts today, is we're going to be looking at an Old Testament book, a book called Deuteronomy. And the author, Moses, was writing to people. He was speaking to people who were about to enter a promised land. That's his audience for this book. And just as James did not hold back, James did not water down, James did not pull any punches, we're going to see that Moses doesn't either. This is too important, what he has to say. So he's not going to pull punches. He's not going to water down. He's going to speak to these people. And in this book, we see that, that Moses lays out the blessings that the children of Israel will experience if they remain faithful to God. But he also says, here are the curses that await those who don't. Moses, again, doesn't pull any punches. He says, you've got a choice before you, as, he, as the book wraps up. He says, you've got a choice before you. And that choice is life or good or life and good, or death and evil. He just spells it out. Well, throughout Deuteronomy, there's, there's several themes that are repeated over and over again, and we're going to look at one of them in this series, a theme that, that appears in chapter 6, which will be our launching point. That's basically home base for us throughout this series. We're going to keep coming back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to bring in some other parts of Deuteronomy that speak to that, but that's where we're going to focus more of our most of our time and attention. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible um, at home, in addition to picking up a, a water bottle on your way out, why don't you uh, please pick up one of those Bibles that we keep there. They're for you. We want to make sure everyone that would like a Bible at home can have one. So we've got one free for you here today and, and every Sunday. All right, here's what uh, Moses said as recorded in Deuteronomy Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and with honey. Now, I, I tried that, that theme might have been a little buried there, so I tried to summarize it with a few words. So if you want to take out your notes and, and write this down, here's, here's how I'd summarize this theme that we're going to be looking at um, right now here today. It is, a pro, it is hard to be a promise keeper in a promised land. Let me say that again. It is hard to be a promise keeper in a promised land. The children of Israel, they're about to enter this promised land. They've been in slavery. Then they were in the wilderness for these 40 years. And now they were literally right on the border of crossing into this promised land. And may I present to you that the land that waits for us just outside those doors has more promise and opportunity than the children of Israel could have ever dreamed of. I mean, they had milk and honey. We've got organic, non-organic. We've got skim, 1%, 2%. We've got so many choices, so many opportunities. There's so much promise waiting for us. And it is hard 
to be a promise keeper in a promised land. Deuteronomy provides practical, hard-won, spirit-inspired wisdom when it comes to people like most of us who live in, 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 a, in a world full of so many choices and so many opportunities it can almost be overwhelming. And we do our absolute best each and every Sunday to try to, to take our 65 minutes and, and say, Here, here's, here's what God says to us. And we, and we pride songs that are, are, that are as best we can, songs that help us engage with God. But 65 minutes isn't enough, is it? Because think of anything that matters. How many of you value education? Right, can you imagine trying to meet all of your educational goals 65 minutes once a week? You can't, right? How many of you value health and fitness? Right? Imagine trying to meet all your health and fitness goals once a week, 65 minutes. How many value sleep? And this is where you can wake up the person who's trying to catch up on some right now and, and, and say, listen up, because this is important. Imagine trying to meet all your sleep goals 65 minutes once a week. You can't do it. And so just as we know we can't meet everything here um, in 65 minutes, we try to say, let's offer some all kinds of great opportunities that happen outside of Sunday morning. And that's my segue to have the Mission Mexico and the Ace Mexico people to come on up. They're going to share about one of these opportunities that they took advantage of um, just uh, a couple weeks ago. We had teams of people down in Juarez, Mexico, and I'm so proud of them. They did such a great job. So we asked if, if they would do the impossible task of trying to just take a minute or two and share some, some highlights uh, from that experience that they had outside of these church walls. So thanks, you guys. Hi, I'm Anna. This was my third trip down to the children's home. It was really cool for me to be there um, on the third time because I've been able to develop these relationships with the kids. And I had a moment when we were in the concha, I was able to look around and see like 60 familiar faces and to see my sponsor kid get to know my family members and to have these kids start to feel like family to me has been really cool. I'm definitely planning on going back and it's been great to just create this connection with a place that feels like there's not a border, there's not a language barrier. It just feels like another kind of home to me. Hi, I'm Jonah and uh, this is my second trip down there. Uh, and in this uh, third picture over there on the right, we got an experience where we could bring a Minnesota-themed fiesta down to Juarez, which is a really cool experience to show the kids what life is kind of like in Minnesota. So my station, we made s'mores in our station, which is a lot of fun to show the kids something that we do up in Minnesota. And it was really cool to grow closer to them in relationships by sharing these experiences with them during the trip. Yeah. Hi, I'm Monique. Um, the picture on the top left is... Uh, a boy I sponsor, Raphael, um, and during, on Monday, when we were down at the project site by the church, um, he was yelling my name out the, the, like, fence, and it was just cool, like, he remembered me from the December trip, and it's just fun, like Anna said, building relationships with everyone, and, like, they've become, like, friends and family, so it's just really fun to go down and continue seeing the kids, and they remember me, so that's cool. <laughs> That was a really cute story, too. The little boy was like, Monica, Monica. <laughs> but um, I'm Holly. I went for my second time um, since three years this on this trip. Um, and it was a really fantastic experience. I encourage everyone who, who to go. Um, but uh, I, I met this little girl. Her name is Carla. She's one of the older girls. Um, but we were just talking. When we were both tired during one of the activities. And um, 
and I was just asking her about her life and she told me that she likes to paint. Um, she was kind enough to paint me, um, that sign and it says, Dios está contigo, meaning, um, God is with you. And she told me that, um, the sweetest thing that she, um, when she paints, she says, I listen to God and then I paint. And that was just the sweetest thing you could hear from a 12 year old, that they're that attentive to their father and they feel that love and that connection with him. Um, and you see that in lots of the kids at the home and they, they see that uh, modeled for them every day by the leaders there too. So it's a really great experience. My name is Allie and this was my first trip to the home. And the one thing that really stood out about the kids from day one was just the amount of joy they had and just how happy and excited they were to have us there. But one of the highlights of the trip for me was actually on our last day. A few of us had the opportunity to just tour the home and the different buildings with Adam, one of the directors there. And he just walked us through the house of prayer and the school and the arts academy and just told us stories about how the home began and some of the incredible things they've overcome and just the depth of what they're doing now. And I just wanted to share a couple verses that have just kind of become my prayer for the home in Psalm 5, 11 and 12 that says, but all who take refuge in you rejoice, let them shout for joy forever. And may you shelter them and may those who love your name boast about you for you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor, like a shield. And that's just become my prayer for the home, especially after just hearing Adam share so much of their prayer and hopes for the future. And I'm just excited to hopefully go back. I'm Bob. Uh, this was my fourth trip down we, with the ACE group. And uh, as you can see from all of these pictures, there's no frowns. Everybody is smiling. They are so happy to see us. And the four times I've been down there, I've made relationships with these people. And it's like family. It really is. You, they welcome you. They hug you. And it's just an amazing time. So if you've been thinking about going down there, don't think about it. Make the effort and do it. I'm planning on going next year, possibly two weeks. So that's our story. Well, can we appreciate these guys for uh, all their hard work and sharing? Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Yeah. We are, uh, are going to take a trip, an adult and family trip in 2018. We'd love for you if you'd like to learn more about that to, uh, to let us know. Um, I also want to affirm, as these guys are, are sitting down, want to affirm these teams Every facet of the game, they killed it in the projects, in the kids, in the way they did community. It was, it was an, a, a powerful experience, a powerful experience. And one of the, the, the reasons we asked them to share this week is because you can have an experience like this that is so powerful. And you can go on these trips and you can come away saying, God, I want to be more thankful for the life I have here. I want to, I want to make a bigger difference in the world around me. I, we come back with all of these commitments that we've made and these experiences that are impossible to share. And you hit the border of the promised land. And it's like these trials and temptations and all of these idols are waiting with a big old welcome home sign. And it is amazing how fast an experience, even this powerful can fade. And isn't that true if you've been to a great camp or a great conference or you had an experience where you experienced the presence of God and it convicted you or it challenged you and you came away saying, life is going to be different now going forward. And there was a big old welcome home sign to all of the tests and the trials and the temptations and the idols that would compete for God's attention you know, and before we get too down on ourselves, as I've been rereading Exodus and rereading Deuteronomy in preparation for this series, 
I'm once again reminded that the children of Israel saw some pretty incredible stuff. As they were being delivered from Egypt, they saw God's wonders. As they were in the wilderness, it happened yet again. Being guided by pillars of cloud and fire, experiencing supernatural intervention. And yet, those experiences faded over time. What happened to them? What hope is there for us? And I believe that they were sincere. I believe that they were sincere in the moment when they would say things like this, as recorded in Deuteronomy 5.26, where they said to Moses, Okay, Moses, you go. And hear all that the Lord your God will say, and then speak to us, and we'll hear it, and we'll what? We'll do it. And many of us have been there, haven't we? God, whatever you want to say to us, say it. And whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. And we mean it. And we're sincere. And I believe they were too. And then life happens. Life happens. And, and, and we get caught in this cycle. It seems like I'm drawing cycles an awful lot around here in this church. But that's because there's so many of these traps that we get into. Relationship traps and, and all kinds of patterns that happen to repeat themselves. And our enemy... Satan, he he loves that. He loves to get us trapped in these cycles. We're just repeating the same behaviors over and over again. And the the cycle that's applicable to this is the cycle of something happens and the people of God said, we are all in. And then a little while later, oops, we did it again. That's the last time I'll ever quote Britney Spears in in a service. (laughs) But isn't it easy to get into this cycle? Where, where you have a moment with God and it, it brings you to a new place and you're ready to make changes and, and you're sincere and then life happens and you fall back to where you were until the next trigger point. Well, what if, what if our lives could look more like this? Where we're going through life and something happens that, that is a, a catalyst for change and then life, as it's happening, we're starting to integrate these things into our everyday life and into our patterns of behavior and into the way we're, we're going about our days. And then what if then another thing happens that is another catalyst that brings us to a deeper level, a higher level, and then we process that and apply that and solidify that. And then another one comes and another one and another one. You know, with setbacks and, and, and with falling down, those kind of things, but what if life looked more like the bottom than it does the the, the top. That's what this series is about. We're going to try to explore that for the next couple weeks. What if our ongoing everyday life was a place where we were able to facilitate true growth? And certainly this is something that Deuteronomy speaks to, that Moses speaks to. That's why we're picking this text for this topic Moses says this, as recorded in Deuteronomy 4, 9. He says, take care. And this next phrase is amazing. He says, keep your soul diligently. Take care. Keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. You know, how do we do this? How do we keep our souls diligently. That's what we want to press into here in this series. 
And there's a place to write this next statement down in your notes. One of the axioms that we've, we've um, applied a lot around here for the last several years is the axiom that we don't simply outsource our outreach. I think we should add this axiom as well. It is nearly impossible to delegate authentic discipleship. Can I get an amen? It is nearly impossible to delegate authentic discipleship. We can, we can hire some coaches and things on some things, but when it comes to discipleship and other things that really matter, you, you can't delegate it. Even the best coaches and counselors on the planet can only do so much. The best financial coaches and counselors can only do so much. The best marriage coaches and counselors can only do so much. The best fitness coaches and counselors, the best teachers, the best professors, the best youth directors, they can only do so much. They can inspire us and they can equip us. But we have to walk those things out. We have to bring their teaching and training home. Jesus once told a story. He told a story of a sower who sowed really good seed. And there's a place to write this in your notes as well. We provide these notes as a tool so you can take these things home. Even the best seeds don't thrive in shallow or thorny soil. Isn't that true? Even the best seeds, even the best coaching, even the best teaching, even the best ideas, even the best practices, they can't survive if they can't take root in your life. Americans have more opportunities to feed their faith than any other people in history. But even the best seeds don't thrive in shallow or thorny soil. So here's a challenge that we're going to pursue in this, this series. What if we reclaimed our homes? What if we reclaimed our homes as faith-forming centers? And that's true whether you live alone or with roommates, whether you're newlyweds or empty nesters, whether you have a traditional family or a blended one, whether you live in a house or an apartment or a college dorm, a condo, or a van down by the river. Imagine if your home was a place where soil was tilled and watered and weeded. Imagine if your home was a place where faith was fostered. Imagine if home was the primary place where we took these ideas and these experiences and these thoughts and we worked them out and integrated them into our lives. Experts confirm this is best practice. Here's just a few quotes I came across during my prep. Here's one of them. It says, The home is the lens through which we get our first look at marriage and all civic duties. It is the clinic whereby conversation and attitude impressions are created with respect to sobriety and reverence. It is the school where lessons of truth and falsehood, honesty or deceit are learned. It is the mold which ultimately determines the structure of society. Here's another quote. When Mother Teresa received the Nobel Peace Prize, she was asked... What can we do to promote world peace? Her answer, go home and love your family. As the family goes, so this next quote goes, so goes the future of the church. And this next quote has another quote embedded in it that's 500 years old. Take a look at this. Luther, Martin Luther viewed family life as a noble heavenly calling. As he saw it, nothing is more important than our pilgrimage to heaven than bringing up children in the Lord. And nothing damns parents to hell so effectively as allowing their children to sin without discipline. Luther wrote that each father should, quote, 
regard his child as nothing else but an eternal treasure God has commanded him to protect and so prevent the world, the flesh, the devil from stealing the child away and bringing him to destruction. Luther didn't pull punches either, did he? What if, what if we reclaimed our homes as faith-forming centers? That was the plan all along. So let me, let me show you something. This is something I've been wrestling with for, for years, and many of you have heard me wrestling with this. As I think about camps and retreats and, and mission trips when they're done well, and, and I think about how you, you literally see lives changing over the course of a weekend. You see real life change happening, and people are sincere. And you think about the structure of the day at a camp or retreat or, or mission trip that's done well. And then you think about everyday life. Here, here's the question and, and some, some, some examples of things that we do at camps and retreats and, and mission trips. Which of these could be a regular part of your day? Starting your day with scripture and prayer. Sharing meals with other Christians and thanking God for his provision. Serving others in substantive ways. Having fun together. Which of the following be a part of a regular day? How about praying throughout the day? Using your gifts and talents to honor God. Abstaining from activities and entertainment that God forbids. Singing God-honoring songs. Discussing God-honoring teaching. Carving out time for silence and reflection. Appreciating God's unparalleled creation. And closing the day with scripture and prayer. Which of the items on this list could we do at home? Do you see any? <laughs> All of them. And here's the thing, too, that, that, that strikes me is, you know, at camp and at, at retreats and, and, and these types of things, when, when this is done well, it doesn't feel like work. It, it just feels natural. And may I present to you that... Very few of these things have to add to our, our day in terms of hours. Most of them, it's just as simple as including God versus excluding him. You know, if, think about meals. You're going to eat. What about including God by thanking him and, and, and being appreciative of the food? You're going to have a commute. What if you included versus excluded? Do you see how this works? Most of these things... Even whether you work, whether you're on a sports team, whether, whether, whether you're, you're a student, you can and should honor God in those important roles. It's a matter of including versus excluding, you see? And, and, and I don't want this to sound like a rebuke because this is a, a challenge to me as well, for sure. Here's a question I, I, I have in your notes that you could write down. What if our daily lives were more life-giving? What if they were more life-giving instead of draining and, and, and taking um, away? I came across this quote when I was preparing for the message, another great quote. If Christianity is to retain its witness in our frenetic and fragmented age, it must take root not only in the thoughts and emotions, but also in our daily lives and even bodies of those who call Christ Lord. And, and this, again, this is, this is an invitation. This isn't a, oh, let me burden you with something. 
this is an opportunity for us to access and literally walk with God throughout our days. And to that end, I, I want to recommend the best resource that, um, that I know of so far, at least that I've ever personally read on the subject. Um, I was asking the conference office to say, hey, we're going to do a, a series on screens in the fall. W- what are your best resources on that? And Kara Stromberg, who's the youth and family or the children and family um, specialist down at the conference office, she said, well, here's a book that, that it isn't directly dealing with screens, but it's a great one. And, and it's, it's kind of the, got the bigger picture than, than, than screens itself. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And I want to highly recommend this book. I, I brought it on one of my last trips thinking this is one of those books that I'll maybe get two or three good ideas. And so I'm going to bring this one so I don't have to highlight and mark up on the plane and all that. And I, I mean, I drained a highlighter. This is some really good stuff. And, and it's all about trying to integrate faith into your everyday life. Capturing those moments that are a part of our almost every day and how do we include versus exclude God in them. I brought a bunch of them this morning. I only got two left here. Um, I don't, you can pick up the book on Amazon, but I don't want to bring these home. So if you want to grab one on your way out while supplies last, uh, feel free to do that. Otherwise, I encourage you to pick up this book. Here's what one person writes about this book. She says, the highest compliment that I can offer her book is that it inspired me to go back to my dirty sink and my screaming kids with a renewed sense of purpose. I love that quote. Because imagine if that could be true. Imagine if something as ordinary as dirty dishes, as, as real as, as tension in the family, what if that could be opportunity for growth? rather than something that takes away. What if we could live these lives that were still lived imperfectly, but they were lived well? What if things like making our beds and brushing our teeth and commuting to work and checking in with loved ones, what if the ordinary became this space where faith was formed and the steps started happening? So we've got one last question as we launch the series, and here it is. Will you adopt a liturgical lifestyle throughout the week? Now, before you start dismissing this as, as so disconnected from reality, the word liturgy, it just simply comes from a, a Greek word that means the work of the people. It's, it's living with intentionality. And most of us have some sort of rhythms to our day. It's about taking these rhythms and adding intentionality to them, to our waking, to caring for our bodies, to going through our daily lives. I think all of us could benefit from adding a little more liturgy to our everyday lives. Here's an example from one small but important area, repentance, and what, what she writes about this in her book. It ties into something that's going to happen later here in just a few minutes called Holy Communion. She writes this, she says, for some of us, the idea of repentance can bring to mind a particular emotional experience or the minor key songs of an altar call at a revival meeting. But repentance and faith, they're, the, they're constant daily rhythms of the Christian life. There are breathing out and breathing in. In these small moments that reveal my lostness and brokenness, I need to develop the habit of admitting the truth of who I am and not running to justify myself or minimize my sin. Rich Mullins, one of my favorite writers and musicians, he said that when he was a kid, he'd walk down the church aisle and he'd be born again, again, about once a year. 
or rededicate his life at camp. In college, he'd do it about every six months. Then quarterly. By the time he was in his 40s, it was about four times a day. When we prepare to receive communion, what we're doing is repenting together. We're taking a practice that, that, that could be part of our everyday life where as we make mistakes, it's not if, it's when. And if you're down to just four times a day, you're a saint. You're a saint. It's about taking this practice that could be a part of our everyday life where we're experiencing the grace of God fresh and new moment by moment. And then we experience it together. That's what communion can be. We confess that we've sinned in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. That we've neglected to love God with our whole hearts and our neighbors as ourselves. Confession reminds us that as we gather for worship... Oh, let me make sure I get this correct. Confession reminds us that none of us gather for worship because we're pretty good people. The opposite is true, isn't it? If the Old Testament teaches us anything, if Deuteronomy teaches us anything and all the books that follow, it teaches us that we're unable to achieve the kind of holiness that should mark the sons and daughters of God. And even when we experience the miraculous firsthand that pulls us back to our senses, the pull of the world is so strong and our resolve is so weak that we stumble and we fall and we lose our way. And even as far back as the book of Deuteronomy, we see foreshadowing of a Savior that was to come. Let's open our Bibles one final time. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5 says this. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall carefully do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you. And he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. If you've read the New Testament, that might sound familiar because who quoted those words when he was tested? Jesus. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy. And not only quoting it, he was the fulfillment of it. Because Jesus of Nazareth, he passed the test that none of us, that none of us could do on our own. And that's what we commemorate when we come together and we gather around the Lord's table.